Well, I'm thankful you are here to worship the Lord today and to celebrate our freedom we enjoy as Americans because even with everything going on in our country, this is still the greatest country on planet Earth. As uh, many of you know, I've been out of the country a lot lately. The last two weeks of May led a team from our church to work with one of our Baptist missionaries in Africa in the country of Zambia, then uh, came home for a week, and um, uh, then led another team to uh, Birmingham, England, where we worked with Kenny Dubnick, one of our missionaries, who will be, both of those, by the way, will be with us this, this fall for our Impact uh, Missions Conference, and uh, we had a good time there, and then at the end of that week, Monisa flew over and joined me and Jackie Davis and, and his, uh, Jim Davis and Jackie Davis, we vacationed in London and Scotland, and one of the things we did in London was we went to uh, Windsor Castle. And on the grounds of Windsor Castle is St. George uh, Cathedral or um, uh, uh, Chapel, rather. And in that, you have a lot of royalty who have been buried there, including the Queen Mother. But one of the persons buried there is King George III. For you history buffs, you'll remember he was the King of England during the American Revolution in 1776 and the years that followed. And they would not allow me to take photographs in there because I wanted to take a photograph of me standing over his burial place, but couldn't do that. But he's buried there along with a lot of other British royalty. When we were in, in Birmingham, I remember talking one day to our missionary and Kenny was telling me about his little boy coming home from school. And so he asked his son, what did y'all learn today in school? And he said, well, we, we learned about the War of Colonial Rebellion. <laughs> and he said, what? Yeah, the War of Colonial Rebellion. He said, no, son. no, 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 no. There was no such thing. It was the War of American Independence. <laughs> And, uh, <laughs> and he went on to tell his boy the truth. Um, every July 4, we celebrate Independence Day because that's what it officially is known as. But what you may not realize is that the Continental Congress in 1776 actually voted, actually voted for independence from Great Britain on July 2. Then they wrote the Declaration and voted to approve it as written on July 4, and it was then published. That's why on July 4, we celebrate Independence Day and the Declaration of Independence. But the truth is, our freedom as Americans was not won because some men wrote some beautiful words on a piece of parchment. It took war. It took armies. And it took the sacrifice of a lot of people. About 25,000 Americans died during the revolution, during the War of Independence. And to help you have perspective on how many that really is, I'm gonna, I need about 10 volunteers right now to, to stand up. All right, Steve White, son-in-law, Robert, you go ahead and stand up. Come on, stand up real quickly. Phil Ryan, you stand up right here real quickly. Charlotte Justice, you stand up real quickly. You stand up real quickly. And I need about five more just to stand up. Go ahead, volunteers. All right, give me about 10 people standing up, all right? Now, imagine you're living in a small community made up, the population is about the number of people in this room right now, okay? Small town, small town America. Do you think you would know a lot of people in a small town that had about as many people as are in this room today? Well, look around at, at the people. Would you know some of the ones standing up? Percentage-wise, percentage-wise, that's how many people in your small town in 1776 would have died during the American Revolution. 
The sacrifice in all of those small towns all over this country, the sacrifice was great. A lot of people paid with their lives so we could be free. Thank you. You can be seated. See, freedom is never free. There's always a price to be paid. We, uh, while we were there, visited the Edinburgh Castle in Edinburgh, and there are memorials on those castle grounds to Scottish troops who died in both World War I and World War II. When we were in London one day, we stopped at Buckingham Palace and happened to be there for the change in the guard. And I overheard a conversation in this crowd. There was this young American couple on vacation. And they struck up a conversation with an older American man, and he was giving them tips on how to tour London, what to do, what to see, and so on. And they mentioned to him they were going to go to France. And he, he asked them, well, when you go to France, are you planning to visit Normandy? And this young American couple said, what's that? Now, for those of you who don't know what Normandy is, all of the moans you just heard indicate you should know what Normandy is. And so we began to tell them about Normandy, and they said, well, we'll, we'll, we'll visit. We'll visit that. In 1940, when Germany conquered most of Europe, there wasn't much hope in Europe for freedom. France had fallen. The other countries around it had fallen. And Hitler thought that because he had conquered most of Europe that England would sue for peace. But they didn't. England kept fighting. And this was before America joined the war. And so Hitler ordered his troops to take British citizens and over the years that followed in the 1940s, they built what is called in history the Atlantic Wall. All of these, all of these barriers, all of these fortifications, all of these landmines, all of this heavy artillery that blanketed the coast of France all the way up through Norway and so on to repel any invasion from the British and later the Americans and the Canadians. And it was going to be deadly for anyone to invade. And the only way Europe was ever going to be free would be for there to be an invasion and get a beachhead in France. And of course, as most of you know from history, that came in June of 1944, D-Day, when the Allied forces, America, American troops, British troops, Canadian troops, and others, attacked, invaded in the area of northern France known as Normandy. And that's where those beaches you hear mentioned in history, Omaha Beach, Utah Beach, and the others, that's where they're located. On the first day of the invasion, 160,000 American troops landed on those shores. On that first day, on D-Day itself, at least 10,000 American and British and Canadian troops died in those waters and on the sand of those beaches. Normandy is not just the region for Americans. Normandy is a, a, a hallowed place. It's that American cemetery on the bluffs overlooking Omaha Beach where more than 9,000 of those American soldiers lay in rest. Every American should know about it. It's one of the two places in France I want to visit. There's only two places in France I want to go to someday. Palace of Versailles and Normandy. See, war is always costly. 
And freedom demands that someone pays a price. What the German leaders knew, what the British leaders knew, what the American leaders knew was that if the invasion on D-Day failed, Germany was winning the war. It was done. And Europe would not have been free. There's always a price to be paid for freedom. But here's why war exists. War exists because evil exists. If there was no evil in this world, there would be no need for war. But because there is evil, and as long as there is evil, there will be war, and there will be a need for America to have men and women who served in the armed branches of our military. Because evil is not an idea. Evil is a reality. In the past, it was Hitler and Nazism. Stalin and communism, both of whom are responsible for the deaths of literally millions of innocent people on this planet. In our day, it's the Taliban, ISIS, and those of militant Islam. Evil is as alive today as it's ever been. It's always been in this world, and it still is today. This past Friday, 24-year-old man, heeding the call of ISIS and the other Islamic terrorists, walks on to this beach in Tunisia, facing the Mediterranean Sea, carrying a machine gun hidden in an umbrella, a beach umbrella. And as people from around the world, mostly Britain, sit in the sand and on their chairs enjoying the sun and the water, he pulls that machine gun out and indiscriminately begins shooting, killing 38 innocent people, chasing them as they fled from the beach all the way to the swimming pool and into the lobby of the hotel. That's evil. And that's why there is war and why we need a military. In your program today, there's an insert. It looks like this. Names on the front and back. These are men and women who are currently serving in the armed forces of America. These are men and women who are loved by people in this church because we ask you to submit their names. Your loved ones that are now in the military. And we published this so you could have the list. And we want you to pray for these men and women. We want you to pray for their families, who they are and where they are stationed is listed here. So take this with you and keep it in your Bible and pray for these families and for these individuals. We want to honor them. We want to say thank you to them. But we also want to say thank you to those who are in this room right now, who are currently serving in the military or who have in the past served in one of the branches of our armed forces We want to say thank you. We want to honor you. We want to recognize you because we appreciate your service now. And if you served in the past, we appreciate you serving then. And so here's what's going to happen. The choir, as we do every year, is going to sing the the anthem or the song, if you will, of each branch of our American military. And when you hear your song, we want you to stand and stand through the remainder of your song so we can say thank you for your service. And then afterward, you can be seated and we'll go on to the next one. And this is just a time to celebrate and say thank you and we appreciate you. So let's have some fun with this right now.
Thank you. You can be seated. You know, as Christians, we gladly honor and say thank you to those who are serving and have served in our military. As Christians, however, we, we worship and serve someone else. As Christians, we worship and serve the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, greater than any dictator, greater than any president, greater than any governor, and his name is what? Jesus Christ. He's the one we worship. He's the one we serve. He's the one we love with all our heart, soul, mind, strength. He's the one to whom we devote our lives, our existence, our very, very being. This Jesus who spoke in the beginning and created this beautiful world, this Jesus who has blessed us with the freedom we enjoy, this Jesus who loved us so much, he gave his life for us, this Jesus who died a very real death, a very painful death on a cruel cross so that you and I could enjoy a freedom that is greater than any political freedom, a freedom that is greater than, than any national independence, a freedom that no army could could win for us, no Navy could win, the Marines can't win it, the Air Force can't win it. It's a victory, it's a, it's a freedom that only Jesus himself could win for each of us. And to win it, just like those soldiers buried at Normandy, he had to make the ultimate sacrifice. He had to die. The good news is, though, he didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead. And his power is greater than any hydrogen bomb, greater than any military force. And his power can do for you what no one else can do for you, what you cannot even do for yourself. I really like the way the Apostle Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, described it in his letter noted in your Bibles as 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. Look at what the Bible says about Jesus, that Christ also died for sins. Once, one time, for all, for everyone. The just for the unjust, so that he might do what? Bring us to God. Having been put to death in the flesh, a literal physical death, but made alive in the Spirit, the Spirit of God touched his lifeless body and he was raised from the dead. See, the suffering of Jesus was as real as that of any American soldier. You remember the, the scene, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before his crucifixion praying. He knows what's about to happen. And the Bible says he's in anguish. He's anguished to the point of death. And as he prays, he sweats. And his sweat falls to the ground like drops of blood. He's in turmoil. There was emotional suffering. When Jesus is arrested that evening, his disciples run away. Those who were closest to him in his darkest moment abandoned him and he was alone except for the Father. 
He knows what it is to not be able to count on somebody. During his trial, Peter cusses and says, I don't know this man. Imagine your spouse, your parent, your child, your closest friend. That's what Peter was, a leader of the inner circle of the twelve, cussing and saying, I don't know him. I've never been with him. Jesus experienced very real suffering when he was hanging on the cross. Those standing around laughed at him, made fun of him. You ever had anyone laugh at you, mock and ridicule you? Jesus suffered not only emotionally, but he suffered physically. During his trial before the Jewish religious leaders, their court called the Sanhedrin, they spit in his face. That's an insult. They put a blindfold on his eyes and they slap him and that's another insult and it it stings. And they say, if you're really who you claim to be, even though you're blindfolded, you should know who hit you. Who was it? And they laugh at him. turned over to Roman soldiers. They stripped the clothing from his back, tie his hands to a post, and use a whip to beat him. On the end of that whip were nine leather thongs, and on the end of each of those pieces of leather was a piece of glass or metal stone, something sharp intended to cut, 39 lashes. And when you do the math, it means there were more than 600 cuts on the body of Jesus when they finished beating him. Men would often die from that beating. And Jesus suffered. When they brought him to the cross and laid him down, they took a nail and drove it not through the palm of his hands, but through his wrist into that wood. They put one foot on top of the other and with an even larger nail, drove it through both feet, attaching him to the cross. His suffering was literal. His suffering was physical. His suffering was real. As real as any American soldier has ever endured. But here is where Jesus' suffering was worse than any American soldier has ever endured. Because his suffering was not simply emotional and physical. His suffering was also spiritual. See, look at the verse again. For Christ also died for sins. Jesus was not dying because of something he had done, but because of something I've done, something you've done, something that every human being has done. We've sinned. He he was dying because of us. He was dying for us. He he was dying in our place. Not because he had to, but because he chose to out of love. Christ died. He died for sins once, one time, for all, for everyone. He died for the sin of Steve Hogg. He died for yours. He, He died for the sins of Adolf Hitler. He 
died for the sins of the young man with that machine gun this past Friday in Tunisia. And he died for your sins. Your sin put him on that cross. And the reason that suffering was the worst is notice what it says. The just for the unjust. Jesus was the just one, sinless, never done anything wrong. All of us have sinned, and he was dying for us, the unjust. And the Bible and the Gospels tells us that at 12 o'clock that day at noon, the sky turned dark across the whole land. And for the next three hours, there was total darkness. Because it was in that moment that all of our sins were placed on him. And as Corinthians says, he who knew no sin became sin for us. The father looked away. My God, my God, Jesus cried, why have you forsaken me? And in those three hours as he hung on that cross as sin, as our sin, his fellowship with the Father was broken. And he was paying the penalty, the wages, the consequence for our choices, for our sin, for our disobedience. And why? So he could bring us to God. You, you can never win in your battle against sin. You cannot defeat it. Is there anyone in the room from the day of your birth until today that's been perfect? We've all sinned. We lost. Is there anyone in the room who would be bold enough to stand and say, Preacher, from this day until the day I die, I will be perfect. I will be without sin. We lose that fight. We're all sinners. That's a, that's a war we cannot win. And that's why Jesus said, I'm going to invade. There's going to be a spiritual D-Day. When he stepped into this world through the womb of a virgin and lived a sinless, perfect life to die on that cross as your Redeemer, as your Savior, as your army to win the battle, you could never win on your own. You see, sin erects a barrier between you and God just as Hitler and his army built that Atlantic wall in the hopes of keeping the allies out. But Jesus is greater than your sin. He's more powerful than your enemy. And even though sin builds a wall between you and God, Jesus is able to knock it down. And just when Satan thought he had won as Jesus breathed his last breath on that cross, the reality is Satan had lost because the beachhead was established and when you give your life to Christ, you are free. 
And it's a freedom you could never win on your own. It's a freedom Jesus won for you. And he offers it to you today as a gift. And you receive it by faith, by giving your life to Christ and allowing him to come into your life and birth you into his family. And then you live for him out of gratitude, giving your life to Christ, a faith decision to commit yourself to him as your Lord and Savior. Listen, brothers and sisters, I I don't know what the future of America is. I don't know what's going to happen to this country. History tells us that no nation lasts forever. I don't know what the future of this country is. I don't know how much longer we will exist or be free. But you know what I do know? I know your future. I know my future. I know the future of every person watching by television right now. And the reason I know all of our futures is because God in the Bible has told us. In Hebrews 9.27, he says, It's appointed for men to die once. I know that in your future you will die. And there's no military force on earth that can stop that from happening. You will die. I will die. But I also know that death is not the end because God says after you die, there is something else. It's called the judgment. When we stand individually before this Jesus, and either we're ready for that day or we're not. Either we are prepared for that day or we are not. And the way we prepare for that day is giving our lives to Jesus Christ and receiving Him as our Lord and Savior. That's what Jesus wants to do for you. And I'm asking you to allow Jesus to do that for you right now. I'm asking you to allow Jesus to give you the victory that you can never win. To forgive you to give you eternal life, to become your Savior, your Lord. I'm asking you to do that by committing your life to Christ, surrendering to Him right now and praying and by faith receiving Him as your Lord and Savior. I'm going to ask you when we sing this next song to come to one of our pastors who will be standing here at the front and say, Pastor, today, right now, this morning, I want to give my life to Jesus. And I want him to give me the victory that he won on the cross. I want to become a Christian. They and a counselor will lead you in prayer as you commit your life to Jesus and become a follower of his and receive eternal life. Others of you need to join this church. We invite you to come. Some need to kneel here at this altar and pray. Pray for your family. Pray for your loved ones in the military. Pray for this country and its future. It needs our prayers. Pray for your friends who don't know Christ. Pray for needs in your life. So let's stand. Pastors are coming. Counselors are coming quickly. And as we sing this song, 
about the old rugged cross on which Jesus died. You start walking. You make your way to the front and tell these pastors what your decision is right now. Come on, quickly. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's broadcast. More importantly, I trust that God spoke to you hard. And if you're sensing a need to commit your life to Jesus Christ, you can do that right now where you are. Simply bow your head, pray, and tell Jesus that you want to live for him. Ask him to come into your life and forgive you. He will hear your prayer. He will answer it. And then let us know about it. We'd love to help you in your new relationship with Jesus Christ. So contact us here at First Baptist Church. The information is on the screen. And then also join us again next Sunday. We look forward to you being part of our broadcast.